So listen to that lesson I just read. It sounds like we're not going to get much sleep. <laughs> I don't know. But you know, in this time of the year, we don't get much sleep. There's so much to do. I want to say something about Advent and the Advent season. It's very uh, important to me to remember. Advent is not a season for me. Advent is not a season of penitence or repentance or uh, such. That's for Lent, right? You gather up all your sins and maybe get one of those whips, you know, that you can, I don't know. What do you all do in Lent? I mean, I, it's, Advent is a season of preparation. It's really quite obvious. I mean, even the gospel I just read, which has a lot of dark side to it. And, it, and the gospel refers to, uh, uh, in those days after that suffering is the leading line. And if you read the scripture before that, there was a lot of suffering predicted, really bad stuff. So we're preparing for something wonderful. We're preparing our homes for the holiday. I mean, I haven't got a Christmas tree yet, but I'm going to get one. But oh my God, all those things we scurry around to do this time of year. It's so hard and it's so lovely. Isaac Watts wrote for Psalm 100, let every heart prepare him room. That's what we should be about right now. I guess we don't sing that till Christmas time, but that's the message. Let every heart prepare him room. It's a season of hope and peace and joy and love. That, that's the four candles we have. Hope, peace, joy, love. Advent candles. This is the week of hope. And I really hope we have a wonderful, wonderful Advent season and an incredibly beautiful Christmas. Hope. And another hymn, I think it's 87. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Isn't that lovely? So I want to talk about Christmas. How did that all come about? I mean, if Jesus was born sometime, somewhere, truthfully, we really don't know, especially not the time. So here is how it all got made up. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it got kind of started uh, I made some notes about that. Uh, to, to start with, Christmas is the shortest liturgical season there is. Some say it's 12 days. 12 days of Christmas, right? Others think it's like 20 days or so, but that's up to all kinds of debate. But the birthday date, legends abound about how that got decided. So here's what lot, some of what Wikipedia told me. And you know, 
you know, we've got this artificial intelligence things coming. I don't know what's going to happen about that. Well, we'll have to wait and see. But some think that December 25th might have also been chosen because of the winter solstice that was happening at the time. Ancient pagan, there were a couple of ancient pagan uh, Roman Midwest, uh, midwinter festivals that took place in December around this date. So it was a time when people were already celebrating and there was a need for another celebration, the birth of Jesus. So there you go. There's another kind of weird idea that the Annunciation, you know, when the angel came to Mary and said, hey, guess what, (laughs) Uh, was on March the 25th. Add nine months, and what have you got? So I don't know. December 25th. I don't know. But there it was. The first recorded date of Christmas being celebrated on December 25th was in the year 336, during the time of the first Christian Roman emperor, So the Roman emperor of that time bought into one of those theories about December 25th, and that became it. And a few years later, the Pope officially declared that the birth of Jesus would be celebrated on the 25th of December. And of course, if the Pope says so, then that's it. But I think we should keep in mind that none of these dates are confirmed anywhere in history and anything written and certainly not in Holy Scripture. Just keep in mind that it was just a very different time. In other words, the birthday date was established out of a need for a celebration day for the birth of Jesus Christ. It was a time of the year for celebration. Hanukkah was going on. That's for the rededication of the temple. Hanukkah And then there were pagan celebrations happening, uh, uh, harvest festivals, solstice trees, and yule logs were all around, even before Christmas. So early Christmas, back in the day, began as kind of a rowdy celebration. I think in some places it might still be, but it was a... It was celebrated in the style of the pagans of old. And I guess those people were rowdy. (laughs) I don't know. Are we rowdy? Yeah. Sometimes. As the time went on, the Puritan church, though, quite a bit of time went on, the Puritan church put a lid on the whole thing as being too pagan. And out of that came what was called in history the War on Christmas. So the Puritans felt that they had this aversion to anything pagan and wished to ban Christmas altogether. This was long about in the 17th century. And the Protestants, that's kind of us in a way, had an aversion to anything Roman, so bans on bans on Christmas were mandated and laws were passed. 
But in the end, the party-goer faction won out. So here we are. And the celebrations resumed. So turn the clock a little further. Actually, going back a little further to the 280 A.D. In 280 A.D., there was this legend of a Santa Claus figure, St. Nicholas. It is believed that Nicholas was born sometime around 280 in Turkey. And he was known for his incredible generosity, his uh, widely known love of children, which I share, his piety, his kindness, and his legends grew. There were gifts of gold coins given, mysterious visits, bringing gifts from a pack on his back. 19th century images of St. Nicholas began to resemble the familiar look of today a little bit. In 1822, Clement Clark Moore, who knows who Clement Clark Moore is? If you're here at 8 o'clock, you can't, can't play. The Night Before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, he wrote that. He wrote The Night Before Christmas. Yeah. Actually, his, his, uh, what he wrote was titled An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas. And it later became uh, The Night Before Christmas. In 1881, here's a clue, a political cartoonist named Thomas Nast. Santa Claus, right? He, he, he drew a cartoon of Santa Claus. The first likeness that matches kind of our, our modern image of Santa Claus. His cartoon, they, I read, uh, appeared in Harper's Weekly, depicted Santa Claus or Santa as a cheerful man with a full white beard holding a sack of laden with toys for lucky children and holding a pipe in his hand. Remember the one with the, he had the pipe? Nast gave, it was Nast who gave Santa his bright red suit, trimming with white fur, North Pole workshop, elves, and all of that in the night before Christmas. But the image was sealed and stamped by Coca-Cola. They came with an ad with that image on it. And instead of the pipe, a bottle of Coke, right? <laughs> a bottle of Coke. So there you have it. There you have it. Hmm. So the secular Christmas kind of was born those days, I guess. And we can view, sometimes we can view with amusement the chaos of that season of Christmas. I think, I hope that the vast majority of those frantically rushing around are motivated, motivated by some feeling of love for somebody. But there's a lot of rushing around. Who has ever 
rushed around looking for that particular toy that every child wants for that Christmas. Uh-huh, yeah, right. Yeah, it's crazy. What might be seen as crass commercialism, quite naturally, I think, seen that way, is the natural response to the desire for gift-giving. Of course, commercialism takes over. Some Christians see this phenomena as cultural disrespect for their exclusive holiday. I, I have had that feeling in the past. Put Christ back in Christmas, someone would say. Yeah. I mean, we get that. But we might just recognize that we lost our exclusive rights to Christmas a few hundred years ago, several hundred years ago. So get over it. I say to the church, put the ever-powering love for all humankind back into Christmas. Put the love back in Christmas. We can all do that. We don't have to let our desire to get back what we lost. Just put the love in it. Joy to the world, peace on earth, goodwill to women and men. So with the coming of Santa Claus, I think, the message of Jesus burst out of the church doors into the real world. The whole world is infected with Christmas. And what's wrong with that? There's some things wrong about it, but what's wrong with that? It could or maybe should be seen as a celebration for everyone. You know, I talk about our, our uh, life with Christ. Christ's message is a, a pattern for love, pattern for a way of life. Hmm. Maybe I say this, I've, I've said this a lot of times, maybe we should stop trying to be a Christian and just be Christ. Right now, I think we should just be Santa Claus, okay? I mean, really, be Santa Claus. Yeah. You know that Clement Clark Moore that wrote that story? He was an Episcopalian. Yeah. Mm. Be Santa Claus. So we've entered into this entire season today on this day. And we could envision the season of gratitude and generosity and compassion and hope for the future, beginning today. We began, really, with thanksgiving. We expressed gratitude for all that we have, as meager as sometimes we might feel that it is, and sometimes it is meager for some of us. Gratitude for the very life we have been given in this time and this place. Christmas, a time to celebrate generosity and compassion, a time to celebrate loving kindness, a time to celebrate Santa Claus, a time to celebrate Christ. And when Christmas all done, we come to New Year's.
on the first day of the new year, we can resolve to make it make the world a better place for everyone. All you and I would have to do is just make it a better place for someone. And that would spread. Hope for a better year, a better world. In 1711, the poet James Watson. Okay, now nobody knows who James Watson was. Right. (laughs) Nobody knows. He wrote a ballad, which was later picked up by the Scotsman Robert Burns and became the familiar Old Lang Syne. And I like to reflect on the original words that... James Watson wrote, because it's a different kind of feeling than what we sing on New Year's Eve. Here it is, James Watson, 1711. It's like a question. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never thought upon? The flames of love extinguished and fully passed and gone? Is thy sweetheart now grown so cold, that loving breast of thine, that thou canst never once reflect on old Lang Syne, on the old times? So on New Year's Eve, perhaps we can look behind the past and see what we have gained, or maybe what we have lost and what we have learned. In the early days of the new year, this parish family might finally just do that. Reflect on those amazing and difficult times. Reflect on the love of your church and on one another that has brought us to these days together. Come together again. Should old acquaintances be forgotten? Look ahead to an exciting future as it unfolds before our very eyes. For old Lang, Lang Syne, my dear, for old Lang Syne, we'll take a cup of kindness yet for old Lang Syne.